if we think about just the book of John, in that book, Jesus makes seven really important I am statements. And he says things like, I am the door, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth and the life, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And I love the way Jesus says these things because he says, I am the, the thing. He doesn't say, I'm a, he doesn't say, I'm a piece of bread or a slice of bread. He says, I am the bread of life. He's absolute with what he's saying. It's not an A, he's not one of them. He is it. He's absolute, and I love that. And, you know, we're in this new series, as I said, Why Jesus? And as Alex said, the scripture we're focusing on is where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, Jesus then spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So we're going to explore that tonight. Who's excited? You're with me? Okay, as Alex said, just yell things out, shout me down. I need to know you're here. Awesome. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's life to those who find it and healing to all their flesh. And God, we pray that you would illuminate your word tonight, that it would be bread for our spirit, that it would be the light in our darkness. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that it's in this place. And God, you provide answers tonight where there are niggling questions. And God, where Wherever there's someone who's lost track, God, we thank you. You direct, direct us back to where you would have us. We thank you for everything you're gonna do tonight in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, come on, let's give it up for Jesus. I love how Jesus uses those metaphors. Who, who loves metaphors? Remember learning about metaphors and similes and all those things in, in, in like primary school. But... I love that he creates things, like he creates light, and then he says, I'm like that. And he, he creates things and then tells us, yeah, I am, I am that. And it's like his creation reveals his, who he is and what he's like. And a lot of people kind of use science to disprove the existence of God, whereas God actually uses it to teach us about him. And he points at something and says, yeah, I'm, I'm like, that's me, I'm that to you. Um, so when he says, I am the light of the world, what does he mean? What does he mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the light of the world? What does John mean when he's talking about Jesus and he says, the one who is true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world? What did John mean? When Jesus was born and taken to the temple, and dedicated to the temple, there's that old man, Simeon, who's sitting at the steps of the temple, and he hears Jesus, and he comes, and he picks Jesus up, and Jesus is just a baby, and Simeon grabs Jesus, and he thanks God, and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's basically saying, now I can go in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, and then he says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles 
and the glory of your people Israel. What did Simeon mean when he held Jesus in his hands and said, he's the light of revelation to the Gentiles? Why? Why light? Why did Jesus use light to describe himself? And I've got to admit, this is quite, this revelation is quite personal to me, right? Of all the seven I am statements, definitely of all seven, I relate to light. Um, I don't necessarily relate to I am the door so much. Um, I don't know, maybe you relate to one more than the other. But if I can admit, this one is one that I really relate to, and I'll share a bit more about that later on. But what I want to do is just take a few moments and explore the idea of light, the concept of light, um, because, and obviously I'm just going to scrape the surface here, I'm not some PhD scientist to come and explain to you the properties of light and all that. Um, someone here might. But over time I've discovered one of the, be- one of the ways to, to learn about something or discover what something is, is to find out what it's not, right? So to find out what's hot, it's good to know what's cold. Give yourself a frame of reference. So what's, to understand what's big, it's good to understand what's small. What's hot, what's cold. Um, what's dry, you know, it's good to find out what's wet. Helps you. So to better understand what Jesus means by light, I figured it would be pretty helpful to understand what, say, yeah, well done, to understand what darkness is. So, go with me to Exodus chapter 7, verse 17. Now, I'm going to put this scripture in context before I read it out. We probably all know the story of the 10 plagues, right? So, Pharaoh, this is in ancient Egypt, Pharaoh has God's people, the Hebrews, captive as slaves, and God raises up Moses, and he goes to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And obviously, Pharaoh being Pharaoh, he refuses and he, you know, gives Moses a bit of a hard time. And so God unleashes these 10 plagues on Pharaoh and on his country. So Exodus chapter 7, verse 17 to 18, by this you will know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish in the river shall die, the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. That was the first plague, and that's exactly what happened. But it didn't seem to bother Pharaoh too much, so God had to send another nine plagues. And so God sends other plagues, and if I can make the sound, you can tell me what it is. You can can shout it out, right? Like, ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. Frogs, right? That was the second plague. Um, I don't know how what lice sounds like, but if, if you want to make the sound of what lice is, okay, do lice have a, a sound? I don't know. Actually, funny story, Rose and I were babysitting once, and um, Rose went to put the little girl to sleep in bed, and the, ro- and the little girl turned to Rose and goes, um, do you have lice? And Rose goes, no, and the girl says, good, because I don't want mine to get worse. <laughs> Plague three was lice. Plague four, zzz, flies. Yeah, I don't know, 
flies. <laughs> I don't think there were mosquitoes. But, you know, have you, have you ever been out in the outback and you look at someone and they've got no idea, but you look at their back and it's just like covered in flies? Yeah, it was like that, but multiply that by a, a zillion and you get an idea of what the, the plague of flies looked like. Fifth was the livestock, all the livestock dies. Sixth, boils, right, horrible stuff. Boils break out on everyone in Egypt and the Bible basically makes it clear that at this point people start to die. But every time, you know, one of these plagues come, Pharaoh is still very resistant. Then hail, then um, locusts, giant like grasshopper type things that eat everything so the people start to die of starvation. And then there's the final plague, which is the plague that finally breaks Pharaoh's back. It's the death of all the firstborns including Pharaoh's own son. And then at that point, Pharaoh says, all right, off you go. Take your people, take your livestock and get out of here. And we know what happens after that. You know, the sea parts and, the, um, and they all escape to, to, to the wilderness. But I missed one. I missed the plague. Does anyone know which one I missed? Very good. Darkness. Darkness was the ninth plague, the plague just before the death of the firstborns. And so we read in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness. And so if these plagues were meant to be getting kind of progressively worse, right? Because at one point people started to die and the death of the firstborn was obviously the worst, and that broke Pharaoh. Why was darkness ninth? If they were getting progressively worse, like, why was it ninth? Why wasn't it the first one? Because if, if Moses came to me and he said, look, God's, uh, God's lost his mind. He, he wants you to have a plague. Take a pick. You, take a pick from the tent. I'll be like, hands up, like, I'll take darkness any day of the week, right? Because locusts, not a fan. Flies, not a huge fan. Stinking rivers with dead fish, not my thing. Like darkness, I deal with it every night. You know, half my life is spent in darkness. I'll take that one. Why was it the ninth? Actually, there was something about the darkness that was so unbearable that Pharaoh actually broke... Before the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh, after the darkness plague, Pharaoh actually um, says to Moses, go. Like the darkness was that bad that Pharaoh actually says, go, take all the people and go. But he made the mistake of saying, no, but the livestock has to stay. But it, it was that bad, that ninth plague was that bad that Pharaoh actually said, all the people can go. Moses, take your people. But he made the mistake of saying, but leave the livestock here. Then we had the death of the firstborn and he goes, all right, take the people, take the livestock, take everything, go. But obviously there was something really intense about darkness that broke Pharaoh. In 2008, there's a BBC, you know, BBC is one of my favourite channels and I, and I remember watching this thing, some scientists and a film crew got together and they did this experiment. And they got a group of volunteers who agree, agreed to be shut in a dark room in a nuclear bunker 
in the dark for a number of days. And throughout the whole time, they were being monitored by a psychologist and, and filmed throughout the whole experiment. And some interesting things happened as people sat in this darkness. Within half an hour of being in that dark place, all of them go to sleep. They just, they're like, all right, dark, time to go to sleep, and they just pass out. And that doesn't seem too bad. But the real ordeal begins, they say, when they wake up and they've, they've got no idea what time it is. They've completely lost track of all time. Most of the volunteers dropped out after 72 hours. And that was roughly the amount of time that the Egyptians spent under that darkness. It was three days of darkness. And these volunteers could not handle it for more than three days. Most of them dropped out. There were very, very few who could pass the third day mark. And I'll give you some idea of what these volunteers said about the oppression of the experiment's conditions. It just became so overpowering. One of them said, it was completely hopeless. I don't know whether a minute was an hour or a week. Another said, the nothingness, that, that was extremely hard. It was like, because the question in your head is, how am I gonna get through the next 10 minutes, let alone the next day? Is there enough left in my head? Another thing was, they were overcome, overcome with this sense of hopelessness. One of the participants said it like this, I remember one occasion waking up and having to squeeze my face and my chest and thinking to myself, am I even still alive? After just 30 hours, one of them said, I'm, I'm hallucinating. And his brain started conjuring up images. One particularly unpleasant time involved musical instruments getting louder and louder and louder. Obviously, there were no musical instruments, but he began to hear and see things that weren't there. He says, I got really afraid, and that's when I kind of started banging my head against the wall, just trying to make this go away. And in that example, we begin to get a picture of what darkness is like. We get bit of an understanding why after three days of darkness, Pharaoh said, all right, go. And so we learn a, few, a bit about darkness and I've made a bit of a list here based on that experiment, but it tends to put people to sleep. Not just the person, but maybe things they've believed, maybe, that, maybe things they've dreamt about, but things tend to go to sleep. It puts people out of action. It's an ordeal, it's an overpowering, it's oppressive. Hopelessness reigns in darkness. Makes you question your purpose for living. Makes a person see and imagine things that aren't true. Darkness tells lies, creates fear. Could this have been what the Egyptians experienced back when Moses walked through the land? Take a look at Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 to 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven and the land of Egypt will be covered with the darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky and a deep darkness 
covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other and no one moved. So the people couldn't see each other. It essentially made them blind and no one moved. It essentially caused paralysis. So not, not only does darkness cause inactivity or hopelessness or oppression or boredom or doubt or lies and fear, but there's also that element of blindness and paralysis. But it doesn't stop there. Look at the sun, the greatest source of physical light. And scientists say that if the sun were to go out, the world or the earth, every living thing would be dead within two weeks. The earth would just freeze over and everything and everyone on it would be dead within two weeks. So not only does darkness cause that whole list of things I just read out, but it also actually, when we think about it, it leads to death. And here's Jesus and he says, I want you to have life and life more abundantly. That was his, that was his promise when he walked the earth. He's like, hey guys, I want you to have life and life more abundantly. And so if darkness causes all these things and causes that oppression and that doubt and that hopelessness, that blindness and that paralysis, how can we possibly have life and life to the full if we're walking in darkness? I mean, God had an idea of how important light was because six days before he created us, he actually created light. He said, let there be light. He knew that before he created us, he had to create light. It was that essential for our survival and for our life. And God looked at the light and he said, it's good. He looked at it and he said, it's good. And he divided the light from the darkness. He separated light and darkness. So why is light good? Well, if I flip that, then if I think about it this way, then if darkness puts people to sleep, then maybe light actually wakes people up. And if darkness creates hopelessness, then maybe light can give hope. If darkness tells lies by making a person see and imagine things that aren't necessarily there, then maybe light reveals the truth. Maybe light illuminates the truth. Maybe it undoes a lie and shows what's really there. It shows the truth of a situation. Maybe if darkness creates fear and anxiety, light brings courage and freedom. Maybe if darkness makes people invisible, then light makes people visible. If darkness makes people blind, then light makes people see, gives people vision. And if darkness leads to death, then maybe, just maybe, light leads to life. I don't know, maybe you're sitting here tonight and maybe you're not experiencing all those things, but maybe you're experiencing some of them. Maybe there's an area of your life where there might be a bit of despair or a bit of hopelessness. Maybe there's blindness and maybe it's physical or maybe it's spiritual. Maybe there's a real sense of paralysis that something you've been dreaming and believing for is, seems just so far gone that you're paralyzed and, and you can't even think about it or pray about it anymore. Maybe it's a relationship that you can't see anymore. Maybe you're in it, but you can't actually see the relationship anymore. 
Maybe it's physical, something physical that's pulled you down and you feel stuck. I don't know, but I reckon if we search ourselves, maybe we can identify or relate to some element of darkness. And the beauty of that is, is that Jesus can illuminate that darkness and bring hope and bring life and bring love and pour out his grace and his mercy and illuminate the darkness. Yeah, come on, let's give it up for him. And just as he says, the light shines in that darkness and the darkness doesn't necessarily comprehend it. And I said it earlier, he says, I'm the light. He's not a light, he's the light. John chapter one, verse four to five says, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. Jesus brings light, he is the light, and he brings light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. I love that. And when Jesus says he's the light, he means he's the light for everyone. And just think about the sun. When the sun shines, it doesn't discriminate. Sure, sometimes something blocks the sun's rays, right? You might have a skyscraper blocking the sun's rays, but the sun doesn't get up in the morning and say, hey, I'm gonna shine on silver water today, but Parramatta is gonna be dark. It's indiscriminate. Jesus says he's the light for everyone. He's the light for you. He's the light for the person sitting next to you. He's the light for the person in your connect group. He's the light for the person down the street, at work, at school, that family member, whoever it is, he's the light for them as much as he is the light for you. And I love it because it's not, he's not just saying this is what I am, but attached to that is a promise. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, what he's, what he's really saying is, man, if you've gone to sleep, I'm gonna wake you up. Jesus is saying, if darkness has created hopelessness in your life, then he's gonna give you hope. It's a promise. If darkness has told you lies, if you can't see or hear the truth, maybe you're believing you're not good enough. Maybe you're doubting yourself. Maybe you think you can't do it. Maybe you're not beautiful enough. Whatever it is you're thinking, when Jesus says, I'm the light, he's saying, I promise you, I promise you, I can remove those lies. You've got what it takes. You are beautiful. You're incredible. I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he comes and he just dismantles those lies. That is his promise. Can we give him some thanks here tonight? If darkness has created fear and anxiety, then Jesus is the only one who can stand before you and say, hey, be anxious about nothing. Whoa. Man, the light of the world can make that promise. And that's a pretty crazy thing to promise. But he does say it. If he is the light of the world, then he can promise that. He can promise you that you don't have to be anxious for anything because the light of the world is with you. How incredible. And if darkness has made you question your purpose, then he'll, he'll reveal your purpose. He'll reveal your purpose. 
And if darkness has killed something, if he's killed a part of you, killed a, a dream, a hope, a spark, maybe you feel like the flame's gone out. He's got a promise. He'll bring it back to life because he has the light that leads to life. That is our amazing Jesus. He's promising love, hope, truth, freedom, vision, and life. And whatever he promises, I believe he provides. Um, I'm, I'm gonna get the band to come. And I did kind of mention earlier that this is a message that kind of resonates with me so much. And from about 18 to 22, I found myself in a pretty dark place. You know, maybe it was just your usual teenage, you know, late teenage stuff, I don't know, but it spiraled. And I found myself in quite a dark place. And now when I think back on it and just, it was a bit like that, like I was groping in the dark, just walking along a really dark tunnel. And there was no light at the end of it really, but occasionally, you know, I'd, well, not that occasionally, probably quite regularly, I'd come across a drink and that would give me some comfort in that tunnel and then maybe a drug of choice would also give me some comfort while I was in that darkness or maybe it was something sexual or maybe it was a relationship, but I was groping in the dark. And there were things that I thought, well, they did give me momentary comfort, but nothing actually brought me out of that darkness. If anything, I just went deeper and deeper and deeper into a dark place. And there was no way out. There was no way out. It was completely hopeless. And I looked ahead to my future and I, I saw like death. I just saw there was, there wasn't, if this was how it was gonna be, then there was no point. There was no point of it. And I'd grown up believing in God and I knew God was real. And obviously in this stage of my life, I struggled to reconcile that with what I was going through. But I, I knew God was real. And I remember just crying out to Him, saying, God, I don't know how I got in this mess. I don't know, but I know you're there. You've shown me you're there. Like, I don't know, just as a kid, I knew that He was there. I just could sense His presence, even as a young child. If I read the Bible or someone told me about God, man, there was, a, there was a bit of a fire in there. I really believed He was real. And so I'm in that dark tunnel, but that spark is still there going, I know God's real. I know God's real. I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on, but I know He's real. And it took time and I cried out a lot I didn't know how I would get out of there, but if I can share something tonight, is God is so faithful. God is really, really faithful. And I remember being in a dark room and, you know, I don't, I don't wanna make this sound really weird, right? Because sometimes weird spiritual Christian stuff can get quite weird. But I'm just gonna share my experience and you can take from it what you want, but a light actually appeared in that room I was in. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a physical light. It wasn't anything electric. It was actually 
a light that came out of nowhere. And in that moment, I didn't know, I didn't understand it, didn't know what it was, but it just gave me a bit of hope. And it gave me enough hope to follow. So just go, okay, I'm gonna take one step towards that light. Don't know what that light is. Don't know exactly what's going on right now, but there's a way and I need to find it. There's a truth and I need to find it. There's something, something appeared and I need to find it. The next morning I get a call from someone, someone I really respect, someone who mentored me. And he said, hey, I had a dream of you last night. I had a dream that Jesus appeared to you and covered you with a white substance like he was washing you. I just thought, whoa. Jesus. Jesus. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. And it wasn't like everything worked out that day. You know, God's incredible. Sometimes He does it that way, where everything falls into place. His miraculous power falls on you and everything is resolved. But for me, it was just, oh my gosh, I know which direction to take a step in now. And that was enough. That was enough. And if I can get, Reese, just to turn all the lights down, you know, sometimes we think if we're in the dark, we want God to come like a floodlight. Hit it, Reese. Like that. And just everything to be resolved in an instant and all the questions to be answered and every emotion to be healed. And man, God is so incredible. He does do that, right? Who knows God does that? But for me, it wasn't like that. Reese, if we can turn the lights down again. For me, it looked a little like this. Cool. I can follow that. I can take a step towards the light. He promises is the way, the truth, and the life. I can take just one step towards that light. And I can trust that He's going to show me the way. He's going to lead the way. You know, I love what John says in chapter 12, verse 46. He says, I've come as a light to shine in this dark world, that all who put their trust in me, Jesus says, will no longer remain in the dark. All who put their trust in me. Man, that day I just put my trust in Him. I trust, I trusted that he would get me out of that dark tunnel. He put that light in the end of my tunnel that I could follow. And my God, is he incredible. Because over the next six months, he just began to clean me up and show me truth and shower me with his love and bring everything into, the, into his light and everything made sense. And he began to heal me and make me whole because that's who God is. When he says he's the light of the world, he comes to restore. He comes to bring life, love, mercy, freedom, hope, everything. 
Can we give Jesus a round of applause here tonight?